Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. On the Barroom Network, I'm Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shula Jr. Hey, Ed, how's it going today? Hey, it's it's going really well. Uh, we are a few days out from the Bulls' first preseason game, and we've had media day. Like we're in the middle of training camp, so Bulls basketball is in swing, and the basketball season overall is in swing. So. Uh, it's, it's about to be a pretty good season, about to be a really entertaining season. So I'm excited to see what's in store for the Bulls. How about you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to get on the mic with you and uh, talk some Bulls. Like you said, this game, uh, game first preseason game is two days away. Uh, a lot to look forward to as far as uh, what developments might happen and uh, obviously different storylines uh, for the team. Um and to kind of help us do that, we have a really uh, fun guest on today. He is the leader of the Big Red Bus, along with D- Doug Conus. And he is a self-proclaimed uh, uh, prophet, but uh, that's dubious, I, I, I often uh, say to myself at last. Oh. And, uh, so and he is also the leader of the Denzel Valentine fan club still. So that, I don't know how that still goes on. But uh, we welcome on C-Red Fred. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for that kind <laughs> intro, Salim. Uh, Edward, always good to talk to you. Hey, uh, well, I mean, self-proclaimed, first of all, I think it's, it's pretty much well-documented. I do have the gift of prophecy. Uh, I am occasionally <laughs> wrong 7% of the time, and it's uh, often highlighted by uh, some people on Twitter, mainly Mark K from uh, Australia. So it may look as though I am wrong more than I actually am. But if, if, we did, if, I, if I did have a similar PR team that covers when I'm right, uh, I think it would be quite clear I'm one of the greatest prophets in the uh, Bulls prophets, in the history of Bulls prophets. <laughs> But all good, man. Hey, man, I'm a huge fan of what you guys do. I love your show. Um, So thanks for having me on. I mean, like, you know, the Red Leviathan is a fascinating team, and we have several, I think, really good podcasts covering the team, and you guys absolutely have one of those. So let's rock and roll, man. Let's talk some bulls. Yeah, let's do it. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Yeah, so Media Day was pretty, I mean, I would say kind of uneventful in a sense and nothing like, crazy happened that tends to happen and when it comes to the bulls uh it was just your standard stuff you know you had your interviews or at least some good interviews for sure um and some good insight um in particular uh, with uh pat williams and obviously with damar i really love those two guys as pressers um what is this something that really stuck out to you fred when you were looking watching that day and and observing uh, everything that was going on well, I thought it was a massive day, actually. Like the two pressers that I thought were 
vitally important were the interview with Vooch and obviously the interview with Lonzo, which was, you know, quasi devastating for his future and for our future in terms of, you know, him being an integral part of this team. I think the general messaging from Vooch and not only him, but the, the older reporters and the former players who cover the team is, you know, we have to get Vooch in the post. And, you know, my counter to that is <laughs> All right, great. You know, like the two best players on this team are Zach and DeMar DeRozan. The last thing they want is a 260-pound center in the post because if he's in the post, so is his large defender guarding him. So there's a general refusal from Vooch, this entire crowd, to acknowledge that this isn't 1989 anymore. And this back-to-the-basket post game is, for the most part, dead in today's NBA. This isn't, like, complicated. I'm constantly amazed at this drumbeat to get this going. And I'm not saying don't ever throw them in the post. Don't, don't you know, take advantage of some matchups. But today's NBA, it's pretty simple. It's not complicated. There's two objectives in NBA basketball 2022. You spread the floor as much as possible with players who can spread the floor and find players who punish a defense that is spread. That's it. You know, like this back to the basket talk is insane to me. And it was a, to me, a pretty big talking point all week on some of the podcasts I listened to and from Vooch. And, you know, if, if we're going to throw him in the post, like we did with Bill Cartwright in the early nineties for a few, you know, in, in the first quarter and act like that's a good thing, but like you couldn't have a team more uh, that's less suited for that type of game. If you're going to play that type of game, you better have shooters all around the three point line. We don't like it's insanity. It's just insanity. And I'm, I just want to say, I just wanted to scream through the TV, shut up, get in the gym and get back to a 40% from the three point line. When we acquired you, that's what you have to do for this team to optimize wins. And until that happens, if you shoot 31% again, we're, we're going to have continual at best first round exits. Well, I don't, I don't think it's about him getting to the post and just banging away and trying to get a basket like that. What it's about, it's about getting him touches there and basically utilizing him as a passer more so because he is such a good instinct, instinctive passer. Um, a lot of the times, I, like, I know when I rewatch games, when Booch gets the ball, touches in general, not necessarily only in the post, he's good at finding teammates, cutting to the basket, open teammates out, out at the three-point line, uh, and things like that. So I, I think that's what it's more about is involving him more than just saying, hey, step out to uh, at the three-point line, stand there until we sh- pass you the ball and shoot. Now, I do agree with you that obviously he does need to shoot the ball to keep the deep a defense uh, to kind of stretch the floor for Demar and Zach, especially Demar who works out of that mid range area. He needs that space in there uh, to operate and at least get clean looks off for himself. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think the post thing is about them like just pounding the rock and that ninety style, like getting him, you know, looks in there to try to just slow the offense down and bog it down and try to. Uh, get him, you know, two points in that, like, respective. I think it's kind of similar to how, uh, not to do a, like, 
apples to apples comparison. But when you watch uh, Nikola Jokic out in Denver, he gets in the post too. But a lot of times when he gets touches down there, I mean, he's not just looking to score, like back his guy down and score. He's always looking for cutters, guys spaced out, shooting and things like that. So that's, I think, what they were talking about more so um, and, and trying to utilize that skill set that Vooch does. That obviously he's not the exact passer as uh, Jokic. No one really is in this league. I mean, he's a yeah. very commodity in that sense, but Vooch is a good passer in his own right. And that, trying to utilize that a little bit more is, is, I think, a good thing. He's a good passer, but not anywhere near good enough out of the post to make that a fixture of your offense. And my also counter would be good passer to what? We don't have enough shooting on the three-point line. That's where like good post-game passing really flourishes, where you get a guy in the post, the defense collapses, and then you kick it out to guys who are going to hit open threes. The only guy that we have is a real plus three-point shooter, in my opinion, is Zach Levine, and he's never going to be left wide open. There isn't enough really good shooting on the team for us to make that work. So... You know, well, they need to move the ball, and so they need to get open, hit their open threes. That's still going to be part of the thing. They have to take shots. They have to take those threes. Um, and it's also, like I said, finding cutters to the basket and things like that. It's not necessarily just about um, it's not about just scoring out of the post. That's all. I'm, that's all I'm saying. I think that's the general sentiment of that conversation. I want to. I want to add to what Fred is saying about. I, I disagree about the posting i think it can be valuable depending on the lineups but i do agree that the shooting has to come back and i would also even i'm also even wondering if he needs to it's tough because i'm wondering if he almost needs to take less threes in a sense because when you look at his shooting percentages for his career he always shoots better from mid-range and like right in front of a three-point line than he does historically from three. He's a really streaky three-point shooter. Now, I, I think the one thing that's working, you know, well, that's giving some optimism is that he seems to be almost like an every other year shooter. And you look at his percentages for his career and it's like, it's really up and it's really down. So coming off what, like 31% last year, I think there's reason to believe that he's going to be back around like 35 to 36% this year. But I almost wonder if it will be better just to scale down on the amount of those top of the key threes that he's taking. Like I I would like to see more like stuff in the mid range and like kind of like right, right before that three point line in a sense. But I, I, I liked what I heard from Vooch. I know it's not really going to resonate a lot because after the season he had last year, but he's still an integral part of his team. And honestly, you could probably make the case that in terms of the guys outside of Zach and DeMar, what he does this season can really lift the upside of his team. If he's playing at that near all-star level that he has in the past, this team is going to be really dangerous. They need that. They need that, like that trio to really click. Like, I, I mean, we can call it a big three or whatever, but we but he need that trio to really click. And Vooch's shooting ability is really, I think, that swing skill for that group if he can do it. So and and I also agree with Salim that I, I when I when we see him in the post, I would definitely like to see him more as like that hub for passing as well. So 
uh, what we heard from Booch on media day, I think was pretty good. And, um, you know, I, 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 I feel good about his chances of being able to turn it around this season. Well, I feel good about him shooting better than 31% from three yeah. since it's so awful. And I can't, I mean, I yeah. can't, I can't stress this enough. Like he, when he was acquired, he was, uh, when, when we made that trade and I know exactly what Acme was thinking, like that was a major part of the decision-making for him coming to this team. They looked at him shooting 40% from three on high volume, six plus attempts per game. And they said to themselves, my gosh, he's turned into a center with three point range who can help extend the defense and create those runways that are so important for Zach and Damar. He then comes here and last season put up 31% from three. I mean, the best team in the league last year in shooting the three was the LA Clippers at 37%. The worst team in the league was Oklahoma City at 32%. So from best to worst, we're talking five percentage points. He dropped nine percentage points from where he was when he was acquired to 31%. That is a momentous, massive drop from great to awful that you cannot recover from. This team will not be anywhere near where they can go or not realize their potential unless he at least shoots 35%. Um, and it's it's really simple. Like we can talk about this all the time and say, well, we can do some cutting off the post. There is no cutting off the post if you don't have enough shooting. If if you throw Vooch in the post, you double them. If you have to, you you just it's a massive sucking sound for the defense to the paint. There is no cutting. There is no room to operate. You have to have shooting to extend the defense. I see this in the teams we're coaching. I'm running a feeder league team for high school, and I'm assistant coach on that feeder team. If you do not have the shooting, and you're you're, you're never going to optimize your big man in the post. So this is like could potentially be a disaster unless he turns that part of his game around. I'm all for it uh, for him in the post, but it's got to turn around, not just for him, but for the other shooters on his team, like Kobe White and other key players that need to improve their three-point shooting. I think you make a Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, guys like Io, Pat, Kobe, those guys are going to have to step up too and and start being more consistent. Like Kobe is a good shooter, but he's – Probably a little inconsistent. He gets a moments where absolutely like, he'll go on like um, two, three weeks of where he's just completely red hot, and then he'll go a week or two where he's cold. I think that's what we saw towards the end of last season. Like overall, he shot thirty eight percent last year, but it kind of like at one point he was shooting like forty two percent. You know, it kind of shows you like the hot and cold he is. Io showed like a, a decent ability to be that spot up shooter again, not consistent. Pat. Shot like percentage has been good, but the volume needs to go up. Right, um, those things for sure, hundred percent, and that's all part of it. Um, and that's all part of like getting those guys open looks, and and those guys need to knock their open looks down, hundred percent. That's no one's arguing otherwise, and and that regard, they do need to shoot more threes. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, they, they I'm not, we we don't need them to be like a top three volume three-point shooting team, but at least if they can get into the middle of the pack, um, that could make a big difference compared to where last season they were the worst as far as volume is concerned um, in, in the league. Yeah, and I think... No doubt. I think that's why... Um, I think that's why last year when we were... When the team was, you know, really good at, like, the halfway point, a lot of people were saying, hey, we need that that guy at the four who can really take that shot and be a threat to make that shot consistently because not only does it 
take some pressure off Vooch to be this really, really good shooter from three. But it, it's going to clear up is also going to you know continue to clear up that lane for guys like Demar and Zach to get you know to get their stuff in. So and, and we saw how um, consequential that was in the playoffs when they had less room to work with when teams were all of a sudden just being like, oh yeah, you know we don't have to worry about guarding X Y Z. We can zero in exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's definitely embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's definitely going to be really interesting to see how Patrick Williams comes out, how Vooch comes out. Like we are we are really entering the season with the shooting at those positions being so crucial, yet being so questionable in terms of how they are going to be. I, I think Vooch will get back to his norm. I think he will progress to the mean or, you know, whatever that <laughs> technical term is. But I, I I I'm still very interested to see how Pat comes out and if he doesn't, then I definitely think the Bulls towards the trade deadline, if they're still, you know, competitive and they're still doing good, they're really going to have to look for something at that four to get a guy who can knock down shots there. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt the volume's got to go up, though, too. I mean, like the Bulls, as you correctly highlighted, they were dead last in attempts at 29.3 per game. The top three teams in the league were Minnesota, Utah, and Golden State, all at you know, Minnesota was at 40 and Utah and Golden State were at 39. I mean, that's a massive, massive difference that um, in, in three point attempts. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with they have the personnel also, like spe- specifically Golden State with two of the best shooters in the history of the league. You know, they're going to be firing up a lot. But Minnesota has the, arguably the best big, big man three point shooter in towns in, in history of the league. So, you know, it's partly personnel driven also, right? The Bulls just didn't have enough guys um, to hit the three. And that's partly what I'm a little disappointed about this offseason, I will say, because like when you contrast this past offseason with the previous one, I mean, our tourists on the last day of the year had a great interview. And then this is going back a year ago where he said at the last uh, before the 21, 22 season in his interview said specifically highlighted, we don't get to the free throw line enough. That was one of the things he specifically stated. And I agreed with him hundred percent. What does he do? He makes a trade for DeMar DeRozan. Who's one of the best in the league at, at, at getting to the line. And you're, you immediately trust the problem with that acquisition. We left this past season, the 21, 22 season with two clear problems, not enough rim defense in the interior and, uh, and, no three three point shooting. How did we address it? We drafted one of the worst shooters in the draft. We we signed Goran Dragic, who was looked washed last year, shot horrible from three point line, and we took and and then uh, you know we also got uh, Andre Drummond, who's not a, not a good rim defender. It's like bewildering to me that we did really relatively nothing to address two of our biggest issues and um, disappointing. Now, I, in in his defense, I know Mark uh, K from Australia, he gets his guy. He went after Gallinari yeah. and they were pretty hard going after him to address the three-point shooting. Um, and obviously we lost that. Uh, but this big picture, it's probably a win because obviously he's out with an ACL tear. Um, but man, it's just... I'm 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 a little frustrated about that. We're going to need to see some improvement from our key young guys to address those problems. Gallagher, oh, no doubt. Gallagher, yeah, no doubt about uh, that. He he definitely would have uh, addressed that. Whole, I mean, not not a obviously not a player without flaws. Like he, you know, he's giving up something, especially on the defensive end. But yeah, he's he's a high volume three point shooter who's close to thirty eight to forty percent for his career. So 
Uh, yeah, with the ACL injury, it would have meant nothing this year. But in planning and strategy and theory, yeah, that would have that would have been a pretty solid signing. And by yeah. all accounts, go go ahead, sleep. No, I was just say, yeah, a hundred percent agree. Like with the off season, um, Ed, Ed and I were also very underwhelmed by it, and um, it's kind of like the you know when you when you when he said he we were gonna focus on rim protection and shooting and didn't get any either of those. Um, I'm I'm a little more optimistic on Dale and Terry. I know the shooting isn't there yet. Um, I, I like him as a player and a prospect. Um, I, I think like the archetype of the player that you take is a very like a um you Jerry um, uh, like you Jerry from um his his full name I'm blanking right now what the hell is wrong with me Masai. the Raptors uh, I'm sorry Masai Ujiri yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't know. What the hell are you? Senior moments, Lee. Senior seriously, moments. Seriously. Look, it's, it's early, man. Look, it's early. It's like Masai, yeah, Masai time, Ujiri. <laughs> like, he has that archetype of player that he takes that, you know, those long, long-armed athletic players that are can play multiple positions type of guys. And that's I like that. I like that type of archetype, especially in today's league. And I like Dale and Terry. I've liked everything I've seen from him, heard from him this offseason. Like he has this chip on his shoulder, the the intensity he plays with, um, obviously the energy that he provides. I think he's a, a very instinctual passer, uh, especially in the open court. Like I said, the shooting is going to have to be worked on. If he can become a, a decent catch and shoot player, I mean, I think that you got something there. So I'm 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 excited about him. But yeah, overall, the off season just wasn't what you know what we needed this off season essentially. Yeah. Well, I'm no I'm nowhere near as high as you on Terry. Um, I have a lot of friends that follow Arizona, and pretty much everything I heard about him was he was the third best player on, on a college team. So like, I don't know where we, he's not to me, he's clearly, he needs to get significantly stronger if you're going to guard threes and fours in this league. And he's, he's way too light there. And his shooting is awful. He's not a four. He's not a four, but at six, seven in this league, like you gotta be able to play between those two. And he's not a two. He's mm-hmm. absolutely not a two. Uh, a and I was frustrated when Malachi Branham was available from Ohio State, who I thought was absolutely a great player, very underrated. Um, and he went to uh, shortly thereafter with Ohio uh, uh, to uh, to uh, San Antonio. I mean, that said, who cares? Like at that position in the draft, uh, contrary to popular belief, you're not going to find great players for the most part. Those great players are usually found in the top 10 of the pick uh, in the lottery, usually. And so it, what you're hoping at that draft position is a role player. I, I'm hoping we'll get a role player out of him. I don't think he's going to be a part of the rotation this this uh, season, and I don't think he should be. Um, but uh because he doesn't shoot well enough, anywhere near well enough. He's got to get that going, and he's got to get stronger, and then maybe he could be a, a good part of the rotation going forward. In defense of our tourists, I will say that you know we highlighted that example right there of where he went after um, Gall- uh, Gallinari. And by all accounts, he was in the, the running uh, for Rudy Gobert. So, man, that would have been two home runs to address our non-shooting and non-rim defense. Obviously, we lost that, and we can debate. I mean, there's they didn't have nowhere near the amount of assets to get them, uh, you know, partially due to the Vooch trade. So, uh, you know, big picture, I do appreciate that he tried to address them, 
But the fact that it remains that going into the season, they weren't addressed. No doubt. Other thing I want to ask you about, uh, Will Gottlieb, the GOAT, who I like to call, uh, he asked a really good question to Pat about the offense, especially with Pat going into the next season, getting more opportunities uh, to actually create and maybe with the ball in his hands. And Pat essentially mentioned the offense will be a lot more open and creative this year with, where it's positionless at more often than not. Um, what are your thoughts on that answer from Pat? And like, as far as what you would like to see as far as more positionless, is that something that sounds good to you? Cause that's something that excites me more, like having more, uh, especially with the, with the way the bulls are built, they do have the ability to run out there where you can have a lineup with Pat at center and kind of just run if you can. Well, I think that's in general where the NBA and not just the NBA, but every level of basketball is heading to five out offenses, uh, positionless basketball, non-traditional, you know, where basically every player in that team who's playing should be able to handle the ball, make good passes, set picks, run motion and, and just do things that without like the traditional, this guy's a point guard, this guy's a center who should be in the post. I will, I would like to note that's completely contrary to uh, that messaging from Patrick is completely contrary to what Vooch wants to do. Uh, but I do agree. I think with, with Patrick that that's the best way for the bulls to go moving forward. I'd love to see Williams play at five. I'd love to see if he can get, I think he's strong enough and has the ability to play the five and he can actually hit the three. Like that's where some teams are going. Look at golden state. Golden state doesn't have a traditional center. They have two of the best shooters in the league and you can put up with uh, green sucking as a, as a shooter because of that. And you know, he's basically your center. He's, he's six, seven, um, Teams can win playing that way. Celtics don't have a, I mean, obviously Williams is pretty big and, and he, but he's more, again, what most people consider traditionally a power forward. So I love what Williams said. I have high hopes for Williams. Probably not as high as other people. I, I don't think he has what I call like it as a star superstar player. Superstar players have a, just a certain level of selfishness, a certain level of confidence, a certain level of get me the damn ball that he clearly doesn't have. And he never, sh- and he never showed in college or in the pros so far. I think IO has that though. So I'm a lot higher on IO is breaking through and becoming an all-star. And this is an opportunity for him. I mean, as, as much as this sucks, this information sucks for ball in his career and the future where he's going. IO is, is, has been presented with an opportunity that I think he's going to really take and run with. And uh, I, I do believe uh, IO the sumo has the ability to be an all-star and he has it. I've seen it in college when games were on the line, he would do things consistently where I remember just turning, I watched every one of his college games and I would just be amazed at how good this kid, this kid was in clutch situations. And he is, was the guy in college. And I think he can be the guy for the bulls. I, I think you make a really good point about Patrick Williams in terms of, well, let me start with the position first. So I, I think the positionless talk is obviously really good for what he can potentially do this season. But even when I hear that, I'm looking at it like, okay, whatever role Patrick Williams is in position to do this season, whether that's excelling defensively first or making any sort of offensive improvement, we really have to see some level of 
assertiveness and aggression to your point. Now, I don't I'm not expecting him to be a superstar. And I know it's a fair expectation because we spent a fourth overall pick on him. And as you said before, that's typically where like all stars, superstars typically go. Uh, but when with, with Patrick Williams, even though I don't expect him to be like an all star or superstar, I just want to see some level of assertiveness, some level of hustle, some level of want in his game. And I think in his first two seasons, even though he has struggled, you know, has some injuries that have contributed to it, it on the court, it never really seems like he wants it bad enough. Now, I'm not saying he has bad work ethic, but just in, in terms of the urgency to to play with, like, I just want to see that added to his game. Like, I want to see some hustle. I want to see the ability to get after somebody defensively. Like, I want to see him like moving consistently on offense and like really taking advantage of something like just just give me that that extra in his game and then i think we can go somewhere from that so the positionless Mm -hmm. talk is really great and i think it can put him in position to succeed but i don't think he's gonna get anywhere until he really starts to like play like he really wants it and maybe maybe that's possible this season because he trained with demar derozan and you know, he he was getting after it in the offseason. By all accounts, it seems like he had a really great uh, summer. But, yeah, like I, I really want to see him get after it in whatever role he's trying to uh, lock down this year. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Fred. No, I was just going to say I, I agree 100%. Like, uh, well, a lot of what you said there. Like, for, for him, I think there's kind of like – the fan base has this expectation that he has to be like a superstar. He's going to, he's going to take another jump and be like a all-star and he has all the ability to do that. And my counter is like, I don't think he has that, that ability, but I do think unequivocally he has the ability to be like an all around really good role player that can help you win. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Most players don't become great players. And if he can be like, you know, like a Jay Crowder or, or an Otto Porter junior type that that's probably a horrible example, but you know, somebody that that, that does help winning by playing like solid defense. Yeah. Like a Lou all That's a, that's a perfect example. Like he might make one or two all-stars, but he's not, not ever going to be considered an all NBA type of player, but a good player, a very good player that does things that, uh, help teams win. That's what I'm hopeful for, for him. And I think he can do that. Like I saw significant improvement last year. I did not think he had a good rookie year. I thought it was awful. He was handed the, that position. He just wandered around the court. Didn't do any, it wasn't anywhere near aggressive enough. Didn't rebound well at all. And, you know, so a lot of people were just in awe of, of a couple plays that were no doubt impressive, but overall to me, I thought he had a poor rookie season um, relative to what other people were talking about. I did see a massive improvement last year, so I am really excited about that. I thought he was much better defensively, much better on uh, just rebounding the ball and showed a little bit more aggressiveness and obviously had some nice games there at the end of the season. They weren't playing anybody you know, worthwhile. And it was like the second or third team, a lot of these guys, um, but he had some good moments. So, and plus he can hit the three at a good percentage. He's proven that you want to see a little bit quicker, quicker release. And we all realize that as soon as the defenders start coming out on him, that percentage is going to go down a bit, but there is so many good signs with him and he's got so much ability. Uh, I, I definitely want to see him become a solid 
rotation player that helps us win. Yeah. And he hasn't been that in the past, but I think he can this year. Yeah. Yeah, and this season, like for me, I'm and and not projecting going forward necessarily just for this season. If he can solidify himself as a two way player, I think that makes a massive difference for the Bulls because Amen. Um Amen. like I, I don't need to see him put up gaudy numbers this season. If like I'm not I'm not out on Pat on ever becoming more than just like a high level player, not yet, just because I, I want to see more, and then obviously next season we'll see. I'll, I'll have probably a better um, like you know claim to saying okay, yeah, he will do this or not. But next season, if he can just become this guy that op- hits his open shots, makes you know aggressive moves when he get, gets opportunity on offense. And then on defense, big thing is like be that really good help side rim protector, especially on the back yes. side and the pick and roll. Um, and consistently, you know, hit your hit your rotations because that's stuff that he still kind of struggles on. We see him at times do it really well. Like he'll he'll come over, help get a huge block, you know, make a really good stop, and then that'll help the Bulls get in, into uh into their offense quicker. But there's also other times where he just makes a, a mistake uh, here or there. But like I said, if he could just solidify both ends and just be a solid three, like obviously three and D is a very, you know, cliche thing to say. But if he could just do that this season in a sense, I think that makes such a big difference. And then moving forward, we can then talk about, okay, well, what did, what else did we see from him? Uh, how much better do we think he can get? But yeah, just that baseline. If that baseline he can hit this season – um, I think we're really working with something then. Yeah. Agreed. A hundred percent. I will, I will say too, like I want to see where I want to see his improvement. And I, I really learned a lot from this guy, coach cook who coached my son's a, a U team this summer. And we travel all throughout the country. He runs this team called D up in the Northwest suburbs. Um, and one of the better AAU teams in the suburbs, a, you know, the city is where it's really elite, but, um, he coached at Judson. And I just learned so much from this guy, uh, just watching him and watching and seeing how he was coaching. And, and one of the things I really started to realize is, and that he really stressed, and I don't think it's stressed enough at the AAU level. And I see it in college and pros to some extent, there's like a, just the fundamental ability of boxing out. Um, and, and on the defensive end is so underappreciated. And then, you know, like when you watch game tape and you see like a play where a guy flies in and, and dunks the ball, that's kind of like what, you know, what I, I used to call like, it's a crime scene. You have to figure out what happened. Why did that happen? Who caused that? And it's almost more often than not, it's just the, fun, the, the, the ability of the defensive player to pick up his man and box him out and just keep him off the rim. Just keep him away from the rim. Too many players selfishly just try to head towards the basket without even addressing that uh, to get a rebound. They want a number, but they're not doing the thing which is so important, which is just getting yourself between your ma- whoever you are assigned to, keeping him off the board. And that was one thing I noticed about Williams in his, in his uh, rookie year that he really struggled with is he – when the shot would go up, he would just look up and and not put himself between his man and the basket. And there were countless examples of that that I highlighted on Twitter and people would get upset at me that I'm picking on the kid. But it, it drove me nuts because I see it too where I'm at. Um, one player who was excellent at that 
was Wendell Cutter Jr. And so you would hear a lot of people just rip on him and say, you know, say he sucks. But man, every game I watch, I noticed that like he would find his man, keep him off the rim. Somebody else often would get the rebound. The Lopez brothers are good at that. Uh, and, you know, but that kind of those kind of things eventually lead to winning. So I'm hoping that he he develops that and learns that. And somebody on the team is working with him on that because he, he was so young. And that is something that takes time to, to develop and learn. Um, and it's usually, though, it's aided with really good coaching at a younger at a younger level. Wendell Carter Jr. absolutely received that. He did so much, so many things really well fundamentally that um, as a coach, I loved. But most people just would just ignore and see as not important. And um you know, yeah. for what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, his game, his game was like that. That was really his brand. Like at Duke, like his brand was just doing all of these really fundamentally sound things, but he didn't have a really sexy game. So when he has like these 8.8 rebound games and someone is checking the box score late at night, it's like, oh, was Wendell Carter Jr. got sucks, but he's probably playing a pretty good game overall. Like, <laughs> exactly. Probably playing pretty yeah. solid. But no, I, I agree with you. I think like, Patrick really does have to improve on like the fundamentals. He really has to approve on those intangibles. And uh, like I said before, I, I think this positionless talk is great, but I think those other things will probably mean more down the line for him. If he's going to meet any sort of favorable potential that fans want to see. I think we all can agree though. The kid has such a unique combination of ball handling skills, shooting ability, and passing ability. You don't usually see that with like six, eight guys. No, he can 100%. do all he can do all three of those things really well. And I'm like, man, so I understand the excitement around him. Let's just put it that way and we can go on to the next topic because it's yeah. clear there. It's clear it's there. Yeah. Yeah, the intangibles of that's why I'm not completely out on him getting to that, you know, star quotation star level. We'll see if that ever happens. But moving on for sure, it's um big conversation obviously on Media Day. And I, I mixed it up. I thought that Lonzo stuff was announced the day before Media Day, but I, I forgot it was announced on Media Day. So that technically was a big thing that happened. Not technically it was a big thing that happened. Um it was announced that Lonzo was gonna have another procedure that uh, would keep him out four to six weeks, and they were optimistic after the surgery that he could be back this season. Probably more so after the uh, after the new year. Um, but I mean, I personally wouldn't mind keeping him out even just to be more cautious, maybe post All Star break. But yeah, that was the like the big thing that happened, and the conversation now has become like. Can the Bulls manage without Lonzo? And people talk about last season how when Lonzo went out, everything fell apart. And again, to bring up Mark Kay, our friend from Australia, he's been a proponent of saying, well, it wasn't just Lonzo that really hit the team. Like He's definitely a big part of the reason why. But there was other factors like when uh, – uh, uh, Caruso got injured. We missed him for two months. Uh, you had obviously Pat was out all season. Zach was playing essentially on one good knee. Um, he was looking like an all NBA player to start the season and then just completely the knee uh, uh, absolutely just sidelined his season. Um, so all those factors played into it as well. And in my opinion, like you, Brad, said earlier, I, this is a great opportunity for IO. 
Um, obviously, guys like Io, Pat, Caruso, if they can step up, I, I do think that we can at least for the regular season until Lonzo is back, like kind of ride the ship, you know, in a sense. That, like th- that's my thoughts and feelings on that on it at least. Like, what what do you think? Like, how how do you see the Bulls being able to manage with Lonzo? And do you do you think that at least with the floor, it can be at least the floor can be higher this time if the other factors are are, are prominent? Uh, I would say no. It's just simply no. And I'll start out with this. Like I always hear that. Well, the Bulls were number one until February. It's, it might as well be a completely different league. I mean, look at the look at the t- league when we first started last season. The Nets, Kyrie wasn't playing. Boston was a completely different team in the first half of that season compared to the end of the year. The Hawks were missing Hunter. The East is exponentially better than it was in November and December of 2021. It's not even remotely a comparison to me. The Cavs, I mean, just run up and down the list. The only team I would argue is worse is that beat us, you know, that, that was better than us last year is the Heat, probably. Maybe I'm missing somebody. But even the Knicks, I mean, like, you can go up and down the league. Almost every team in the East is better. So I don't buy this, like, with the, just the longing. Even if Lonzo was healthy, I don't think we would be as good as we were then just because the East is so much better um i mean big picture i'm for lonzo i'm just putting it aside like i don't think he's gonna play this year after watching an interview i was so depressed watching it and it's it's almost ironic that you know it was 10 years ago that we had the exact same thing happen except it was a better player like Rose was our mvp he had torn his acl we were hoping he'd come back during the season he didn't come back at all. So he missed the entire 2012-13 season and the Bulls got to the second round. And that's my point is that this team should not just collapse because Lonzo Ball isn't on it. And if if that's the argument that Lonzo's missing and that and I I do realize he addresses a lot of our faults. But Lonzo Ball isn't good enough 100% healthy to make it, to make us a championship contender. Like if if that's the argument, we were never good enough to win a title. Sure. Well, that, well that's what I'm saying. That so you yeah. agree that that we should be able to manage at least without until Lonzo comes back, they should be able to ride the storm with guys like Io and AC being healthy and ready to play. Um, obviously, when he comes back, it, that's a different conversation. I, I do think he makes us better. That I'm that's not no an doubt. But no I'm doubt. saying what I'm yeah. saying is I don't think we should fall apart uh, like last season of like the, everything that happened. That's all, that that's what my essential like question is, and I think I think they should be able to ride the storm. Like if you do get what I'm saying, I'm, I I I, I do understand what you're saying. I do feel though, in terms of ride the storm, the storm is the East is much better, and so what, what the the only way we can compete now, in my opinion, is the Delta. We got to have a jump from Iowa or Williams. Right. Those two players are, are are like their improvement is the key to see where we go, because like I don't feel. I don't see where else it's going to happen from. Like, I don't think that Zach was injured last year early on. I thought he played very well for the first two, Correct. First two months. The and last it, half, he was his knee. He was, was really injured. Bothering him. 
absolutely. And he missed games and we were destroyed. Like Vooch, if he shoots better from three, that would absolutely help us and go a long way from improving the team. But I don't think anyone should expect a 32 year old, you know, plotting center to get suddenly get better defensively. Like I, I expect him to fall a little bit. And DeRozan was insane last year. And I, I do feel like DeRozan's game is going to age well. And I think he'll be a very good player again, but like this team, treading water and avoiding the storm is going to, is going to require Iowa Williams or Kobe that to take a jump. One of those three guys have to do it. If that doesn't happen, I think this could go South really quick. Um, and, and it's kind of just based on how the team is. Our three best players are subpar defensively. And that's never, never a good sign for a con in, in a conference where, you know, it's much better. It, I just can't, believe how much better the East is. Even the teams that I think are poor, like let's throw out Detroit. Mm. How can you not be excited about where they're going? And, you know, and, and then they sign Bogdanovich, I mean, or get, uh, make a move for Bogdanovich. Detroit's going to be better. Orlando's going to be better. All these teams that aren't even that good, Charlotte and, and, and Miami are the two teams that I think are going to take a drop. But outside of those two, I think you can make an argument that almost every every team in the conference is better, besides yeah. the Bulls. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right here that it's tough using last season to. Uh, it's tough comparing it to last season because the East is significantly better, at least on paper, and so many teams improved and so many teams are going for it now, at least in terms of playoff contention. There's not really. I mean, there's maybe like one team that you can think of, two teams that you can think of in the East that are like maybe tanking or not. I don't know. I'm not really tanking, but they're like in clear rebuild. And that's Indiana, um, Charlotte or not Charlotte, Indiana, Orlando, but and maybe Detroit. But those teams got better except really Indiana. But um, it, yeah. all of it, all of this, com- all of this comes back to we're talking about as Shaq would say the others like we're we're coming back to the others in every conversation because we know that Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan to more or less they're going to be who they were last season more or less like maybe DeMar is like you know just 90 percent of that he's not going to be hitting like back-to-back buzzer beaters and stuff like that but they're still going to be really good they'll still probably play at an all-star level uh, but it, it comes back to everyone around them. So if we're looking specifically in the backcourt at these guards, we do need to see a jump from Io. Uh, even Caruso may need to do something a little bit more than what he's doing. Like maybe he needs to be a little aggressive, like a little bit more aggressive offensively and get some results there. Um, Goran Dragic, like can he turn back the clock a little bit and be no. pretty solid reserve. He said no. <laughs> no, just well, uh, end that conversation. I no. think it's an upgrade over like Matt Thomas. That's about it. Yeah. I mean but, yeah, but, yeah, like, but, but like can that, you that you, isn't hard. But can he give you like yeah. can he give you like twenty minutes and be like a solid twenty minute guy? Like not not no. he's gonna be like all star go on Chargers. I mean like, he wanted uh, to go to Dallas. No. He wanted to go to Dallas yeah. and Jason Kidd said no. Yeah. So uh, he he doesn't want to he doesn't uh, here you know what I'd like to do with you guys can can you can you you uh, just give me a, a would you mind just running through a quick exercise with me I'd love Sorry. to get your opinion on this I did this with Doug I'm going to throw out a team and I want you to tell me if you would be willing to bet that the Bulls are better than that team like put money on it say the Bulls are going to finish better than that team all right and I'm going to track what you guys say so let's throw out one Miami 
probably. I mean, I would. I would say right until proven otherwise. I think Miami is still gonna ahead of them because I agree. They Edward, had. They okay. had a bu- Sorry, I was just saying they had a bunch of injuries last year too, and they still finished number one in the East. So. Yeah, Miami is better than Chicago without a doubt. Agreed. And I think it's the Delta's a lot closer now that they, you know, um, they lost Tucker. I think he's an underrated player, but I agree with both of you. The Celtics might even go further. The Bucks, let's not have that discussion. The Sixers, all those, we all agree. Those one, yeah, two, those, three, four, four teams are ahead of them. The Raptors. I think they're the same tier. I, I can see the Bulls finishing ahead of them. I think that they're, I, I, have, I have three teams. I and I would counter why. I would counter why. Because well, Toronto had a better record than us last year. They're a young team. And they had a ton of injuries. Like I think they're better than the Bulls, right? I mean, now. I don't think they're, they're I don't think they're clearly better. I think that I, I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto finished ahead of the the Bulls, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the Bulls finished ahead of Toronto. I'm not saying like it's it's there's no shot Toronto's better. I just don't think it's such a clear thing that yes, I will take Toronto over the Bulls. Yeah, I, I Rusaline that I can easily see. I I will not argue with anyone who thinks Toronto is better than Chicago, but I also respect anyone who believes that Chicago is better than Toronto. Like, it was a difference of what like two games I think last year, and yes, yeah, so, two games. Yeah, two. They games. won forty eight. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> For for the sake of this conversation, I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll take Toronto finishing over Chicago, but I do not think – I think they are in the same tier and they are very – more or well, less, they're, they're even. This conversation is like, would you be willing to bet money? I would not. I, and I think you guys would not be willing to bet money that the Bulls are going to be better than Toronto. I agree with everything you said. <laughs> like, I think they are very close, but I think we all agree we would not be willing to bet money. The Nets – yeah, I think that Nets are going to be really good. Yeah, I actually I think agree that Nets, too. I think the Nets are going to finish top four, in my opinion. I, I think people have kind of forgotten about Ben Simmons. Um, I was listening to that uh, podcast he was on with uh, JJ Redick. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really good listen. If anyone hasn't listened to that yet, I would recommend it. Um, yeah, I think the Nets are going to have a really fun season, and they're they're going to probably be right there when it's said and done. As far as one of the teams that that are going to probably come out of the East, that's that's my opinion. Obviously, there's always the Kyrie factor. We'll see what happens with uh, with chemistry in the locker room, but I don't think I don't know. I think in the long run, that that team is just going to be a, a contender, in my opinion. I, I don't. Do you agree, Edward? I agree. The Nets are better. Um, I'm a little iffy on their championship contention, but I, I think they're better, and I think that their range of outcomes is all over the place, depending on locker room stuff and Kyrie's a wild yeah. card. Like there, there's so many different outcomes. But yes, I think they are a better team than the Bulls. I also like some of the things they did in the offseason. Like you know, quietly they added some solid depth. Like, it, it was, like the whole KD stuff that was going on, you know, people weren't really paying attention and people were thinking, okay, they're going to blow the team up, but they added some decent depth. So yeah, Royce O'Neal, oh, oh. Joe Harris is yeah. coming back. Agreed. Joe, Joe Harris. I, I'll put this way. I agree with, and Salim, I think you hit on it. Like if Ben Simmons is healthy, that team I can guarantee will be better than the Bulls. Cause yeah. if you had to pick one thing that you needed, 
How about a top three defender in NBA? And people can say what they want about him on the offensive end. Ben Simmons is freaking awesome as a defender. And there are a few guys that can do what he can do. He can guard five positions. He's freaking incredible. And uh, I don't even think this is debatable. So, like, I have the Nets better than the Bulls. And then we have the Hawks and the uh, the, the Cavs, I'd argue, are better now. You know, it might take a while for them to gel, but I think they have more overall talent. And uh, right now, with, with the addition, uh, you know, like I, Donovan Mitchell, he's he's awesome. Like, I, I, people are like acting like this guy sucks. He's a fantastic player. I, I'm just like bewildered. So, big picture, what I'm pointing out here is that the Bulls could easily be in the play in. You know, it, I, I think if things go well and you get a jump from Kobe, and Williams, I think they can go to four or five, but I think that's like our ceiling, really. I don't yeah, think we're going to be better in the no, Celtics, yeah, Bucks, or yeah, Six. I think no, I agree. I agree with that. And I guess I, I'll say this I'm back to the Lonzo stuff, and maybe I just wasn't articulating it well because I think we're on the same page. Well, like what I'm just saying is, I think if if I think the Bulls can be built to sustain with Lonzo if those things happen, like Io takes a jump, um, Pat takes a jump. Kobe, you know, becomes a lot more consistent. We'll see what happens with that. But like I said, I think I, I think that the Bulls can be built to be fine without Lonzo. That's just my my thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, in that regard. Yeah, I agree. I think, and I think we were talking about this a few shows ago. But um, yeah, the Bulls' range of outcomes is definitely in the playing game. If we if we buy all of the hype from yep. all of these other teams, then yeah, the Bulls are going to be in the playing. Um, and you know that I mean that is what it is, but uh, it's a tough thing to say. And I know a lot of people get mad on on you know Bulls fans that get mad that oh how how could you say this team is playing? And it's that it is a reality. It's it could happen. Uh, yeah. We'll yes. see. Obviously, we'll see what happens with development and like and growth internally and other other uh, parts of the team, but. It's it's just the reality of the situation. It's not, and it's not necessarily about the Bulls alone, because like you said, Fred, the East has gotten a lot better. Yeah, and yeah, that's just the fact of it. And so it's also including the surroundings uh, of, of what's going on with the other teams. Yeah, so I, yeah, it's a possibility for sure. I think I yeah, so finish six. I think I finished. I, I think I picked them to finish six, but yeah, like that's just right above the play in anyway. So it's just like you know they're. More, That's right. This is such an important year. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they gotta be. They gotta see a jump from Williams and uh, Io, or even Kobe White, who I think has been slept on a little bit. And if they get that, we'll be four, five, six. Everybody's gonna be feeling pretty good. You know, like we'll be a challenger to potentially get to the second round, and that's all great. If something happens, like where we end up, like if we're looking at the trade deadline and we're like ten or eleven in the standings, to me. Uh, I heard Zach Lowe bring this up. Like, I'm all for just, all right, let's blow this up because this is not going to work. Like, what are we doing? Um, I would – Zach Lowe brought up the point, like, if we get to that point, would you throw DeRozan to the Lakers for their two number ones, 27 and 29? Um, and I guarantee you the Lakers would do that. I guarantee that, they would do what that. what does that do? Like, I, I saw – I think I saw someone propose that in a trade machine and – I just Westbrook, yeah. I just don't know what that does for the like. You just signed Zach to a max deal. He's in his prime. Like I don't, I don't understand. Well, what that does, what what it does, 
what, are what you that, done flipping? I was saying, are you done flipping Zach for a, like a, a Donovan Mitchell type of deal? Then, like, what's what's your thought process on it? I guess. Well, at that point, if this team is ten or eleven at the trade deadline, I absolutely am trading whatever you can. Let's start over again because what are we doing? Like, that's what our our point is. We got two guys that we, we well, first of all, Vooch is contract expires next year. I don't want to see him on on the roster. That's just me next year. I don't think he's he's not a modern NBA player, but you know, see what you can get for him. And then DeRozan you can get a lot for. Absolutely. Like you can look at Toronto, what a story that would be to send him to Toronto. Toronto has every one of their number one picks. You can get every one of their number one you can get three or four number ones for DeMar DeRozan going back there and and maybe even a good young player that you want for DeMar DeRozan. So like we have assets that if this thing goes south, I'm not that worried. Um, but I just want to throw that out. It is absolutely a possibility we could be 10 or 11 at the trade deadline. And then that question is then what do you want to do? And to me, there's only one answer at that point because I don't want to be fighting for the playing spot and get knocked out with this roster. It's insanity that, if, if, you know, why? Our best three players are all on the other side of their prime, with the exception well, of Zach, who's probably right in the middle of it. Well, here's the thing, Fred. If the Bulls are in that vicinity of the play-in, I'd rather go for the play-in and hope to make the playoffs because the reality is the Bulls' pick is only top four protected. And I, I'm not risking on – uh, I'm not risking on trying to give another like seventh or sixth pick to the to the Magic because of some small chances that they may jump into the top four. I would rather that they try to still get into that plan. That's yeah. in my opinion. If they're in that vicinity, so um, now if they're just worse, much worse than that, sure, then maybe you can. But I don't think they will be. On this point, this is where we'll disagree because when. The player, uh, Victor Wembianma and Scoot Henderson or Nick Smith are the top four players. I think it's worth it because those guys are transformational players. This draft at the top four positions is absolutely loaded with real transformational or organizational transformational players. So if there is a chance, I would prefer that route than just playing for the play in. What say you, Edward? So I'm not saying that that Vic and you know a few of these other guys like I, I'm not saying that this isn't a year that's worth tanking for because I do agree that there is incentive to tank, especially if Vic is a generational prospect that a lot of people think he is. I just don't get one that specific trade where you're trading DeRozan for picks that are like five years out because I, I just don't know what that does for you like like you just signed Zach to a max deal that's worth over 200 million and you know granted Vooch will expire after that but if you're just flat out just dumping DeRozan I, I just don't really because you finish like you're finishing like 10 for 11 I don't I just don't know what that really does for you for the next well, what it does for you is it gets though. you for in the Lakers case it gets you potentially unprotected lottery picks because by that point 
the you know LeBron James is going to be gone, and so will and so will Demar Derozan. Yeah, and, and it could potentially transfer transform your franchise, getting you know players there. But you're right, it is a big risk. But I I'm just pointing out that that option will be there, and I do believe will be there with Toronto, who's just who has all their num- number one picks going forward. Um, so I'm just pointing out, like regardless. I, that's why for this season, I'm fine with either, you know, even if things go badly, I think we have options. I, I just I don't think our, it's that I get, I, I get So I get that in terms of like, okay, you know, we're getting some picks that can be valuable later. It's just, I, I for me, I don't really view this as a year where if things go south, we just completely blow it up. Like, I, I think if things go south, then they have to figure out a way to write the ship. And I don't think that's necessarily going into a rebuild because you you just re-signed, like you you just put all of this money into Zach Levine, who was in the prime of his career. And I I don't know how that fits a complete blow up. Like he's, this is it for him, right? Well, not it for him, like in terms of like, you know, for his career, but like in terms of building a team that can be really competitive and good, and you have this all-star guy on your team. I, I just don't see how that meshes with a rebuild where you're going to have to wait like three or four years before something comes to fruition. And even then, and we've seen it recently, we know that that three or four years isn't really promised to lead to anything. <laughs> well, I think I think you answered your own question there. Then you take the Utah Jazz route and you trade Zach too. And you just pull in asset after asset for those players, and you try to tank for a top four this year. That to me, if we're at ten or eleven, I'm just pointing it out. I'd rather go that route than go. Let's try to get in the play in and lose in the first round because uh, we're not. I, I'd rather I, go I, for the play in, man. Because like I, like I, I get it. Going for the play in, it, it's like oh yeah, you know, basketball hell, treadmill, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever. But. I, I just think there's more value in going for it because like we've already built this team and we already have this guy who's really good. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't really see how that meshes again. Like, are we like, I don't view this year as guaranteed playoff spot or bus. Like, I, I just don't really see it in that lens. Like if we, if we sink to the play in spot or below, then I, I say, Hey, look, they got to figure out, how to get back the next uh, next off season? I don't really view it as all right. Blow everything up. Figure out what you're gonna do with that. Like I, I view it as hey, you got to come back next year and see what you can do because I, I just don't think that. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just like scorned from all these rebuilds, and I just do not want to see it. That's probably another reason I am so tired of watching rebuilds. But uh, so even though I know this is a theoretical conversation, but yeah. I, I just don't view this year as like guaranteed playoff spot or bus. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Like, we'll see what happens with Pat Mayo. Cause like, you know, in, in, in like four or five months, three, four months from now, we, he, he could be looking like a genius or we're, we're sitting here panicking like, Oh crap. What do we do now? Because if, like I said, if that's what we're essentially he's banking on is those two guys taking a certain type of development leap that really positions this team moving forward and 
it could happen. It could happen that he's right and he was always right about having faith in the continuity and the, the young guys in, in this team to take that leap and become the players that we that he thinks they can and that can propel this team into being at least like in that, in that four or five range. Or like you, Fred, you were saying, and we were talking about, like, you know, you're, you're, you're in a position where the plan is a possibility and maybe even, you know, you get to a point where it's like, okay, what the hell? Maybe we could lose to one of these teams that are fighting for the plan as, as, as well. So, uh, we'll, we'll see on that. Um, as, as we'll start wrapping up here. Do I do want to get one last thought, um, from both of you guys because, I, I feel like when we talk about DeMar and Zach, around the league, I feel like they're kind of underrated as a duo still. Like people are still talking about DeMar being, you know, like that season was just an absolute fluke and this season he'll he'll be much worse or he'll regress. Um, I think Zach still gets underrated. So I'll, I'll give you guys a stat. There's 13 players last season. They averaged 20 points. On 59% true shooting, at least. Those were the baselines. Two of those guys a lot were Zach and DeMar, and those are the only two teammates. Um, I, Katie and Kyrie technically are obviously our teammates, but Kyrie barely played. So the minutes-wise, he kind of got cut off from that. But it kind of shows you, illustrates you that, you know, the Bulls have two guys that – are elite advantage creators that can create elite offense uh, for themselves and also at times for their teammates, at least in the pick and roll. Like you've generally seen Zach's pick and roll numbers. They're pretty good. Obviously, he does have issues sometimes with ball handling. But DeMar, on the on the flip side, he's great in general. He's a great pick and roll player, and his ball handling is great. So – would you guys think that, say that, like, maybe people are undervaluing that duo and how good that they are, and maybe the outlook should be a little bit brighter than what we're kind of looking at the team to be? Uh, I would say no. I think they're proper – you know, properly late, properly rated. Um, and it's just because there's so many good duos in the East. I mean, you got Brown and Tatum for Boston. Um, you know, you look at all the teams ahead of them. I think they have some really good players that are, are there. And I agree. First of all, Salim, everything that you highlight on the offensive end is absolutely true. The problem with, with, with Zach and Demar is on the defensive end, and they're both below average. And you know, we can we've talked to we're blue in the face about why Zach isn't better defensively. He's just not. Yeah, I've I've just seen way too much um, in the playoffs last year and during the regular season. I know he had some knee issues. He's not a good defensive player. And at this sure. point, you just got to say this is never going to happen. And so, like, who would rather? Well, who would you rather have, Brown and Tatum or, or Zach and 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 Demar? I mean, as good as Zach and Demar are, there's just better duos in the East. Sure, and I'm not saying there aren't better duos. I'm just saying I think Zach and Demar are being underrated. Overall, and that's all I'm, I I feel like we should value them a little bit more as a yeah. team than, than yeah. they get credit for. That's a good point. I would say they're probably underrated overall. I, I absolutely. I mean, they are all stars. Uh, the the season that Demar had last year was freaking incredible. It was one of the best sign, one of the best moves in the history of the Chicago Bulls organization. He was so good. I mean, that's as good 
it's not as good as uh, you know Rose's MVP year, but to me, it's the second best season since Jordan retired for a bull. It was that it, he was just awesome uh, outside of Rose's MVP year. So, yeah, I, I do agree they're underrated overall. But um, you know, unfortunately, there's just so many good duos in the East that they're they're probably I would probably rank them four or five. I, I think the, uh, an interesting debate is now with Cleveland. Would you rather have Mobley and uh, and, and Mitchell over Demar and Zach? And that's well, a really I, interesting. Well, yeah. Honestly, Cleveland. I think so. Like obviously, Donovan Mitchell is great, and in a couple of years, I can see Donovan Mitchell being like the third best player on that team because Darius Garland is an absolute stud, and he's not anywhere close to his ceiling. Too. So, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. And in, in two, three years, Darius Garland is like one of those top five point guards in this league. I mean, top three even maybe. Where he just takes that leap, like last season with his, uh, like with his half court um, ball handling and and in the pick and roll, he took such a leap last season in that regard. And obviously, as a scorer and a shooter. You know, forget about it. He's all there already. So uh, I think, yeah, I, Cleveland is just, yeah, they, they scare me going forward. That They do scare me going forward. We were so close to Garland, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that was my guy. Um, I, I think a part of me wonders how much of this is they're underappreciated because I think they're still actively fighting – narratives that people some people won't give up on them and to this point it feels like they should have long overachieved it like zach for the longest was no defense chucker inefficient you know can't contribute to winning teams demar derozan you know has the stigma of you know they, they they traded uh Kawhi leonard uh for him and then toronto won a championship and then all of those years where the raptors were just kind of like disappointing in the playoffs and you know, his playoff performances in some of those series. So part of me wonders if those narratives are just still kind of stuck with them. Uh, so I, I do think that they are under underrated to some level because of that, because they're both still legitimate all-star players and they can both score 25 to 30 plus on any given night. And they're a phenomenal duo. Um, but going back to what we talked about earlier, it would... I think they also kind of suffer from the fact that neither of them are strong defensive players. I think Zach has gotten better over the years, but neither of them are strong defensive players. So when you're building a team around two guys who really aren't that strong defensively and aren't like like KD or Kyrie in terms of like the offensive level to make up for it, then I think maybe that can create some level of uh, not really rating them high enough, but yeah, I definitely think that there is a strong argument that they are a little underappreciated around the league still, even after what they did last season. And I think to follow up on this one more time, they're a little unique in that their strengths don't really amplify each other like other duos do in the East. I'm just talk, focusing on the East here. Like you think of like Harden and Embiid, those guys are elite on pick and roll. Giannis and Holiday, or you can, you know, Giannis and whoever. I mean, he's in, that's a whole n- another level of just Giannis in the sentence. Uh, Brown and Tatum, you know, both great defensively, both perimeter players. They can, they kind of like, I'd say like they play together a little bit easier 
uh, there's a little bit more, you know, iced tea and lemonade with all those guys than there is for uh, Zach and Demar, who are kind of similar to a certain degree. Obviously, Zach is way much better shooter in terms of three-point range overall, but they're both basically guys that can break you out, break you down on the perimeter and, and, and score uh, on high volume, um, but they're not great defensively. So, I, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I think there's a little bit less yeah. uh, amplification of each other's talents together. It's kind of like Rose and Butler. You know, that never really worked. It was like, right, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, where some of these other duos are a little bit more. Even Brown and Tatum were like that for a little while before last yeah. year. Like, even though they were, you know, they're both better defensively than Damar and Zach. You know, they they definitely had a, a my turn, your turn type of thing, and it was hurting their offense. But it's it fi- they figured it out seemingly. Yeah, and I guess that's where the continuity comes into play. Maybe another more experience together can kind of open up a little bit more uh, cohesiveness between them. I mean, yeah, that, that could come yeah, into good play point. Too. That good point. Play too. But Fred, I know you got to get going. I don't want to keep you because we've already gotten longer than uh, we were norm- we were supposed to. Uh, let's wrap up by this. Jordan, uh, I want you to give us like a positive uh, outcome outlook. for the Bulls. Outlook for the Bulls because it's been kind of depressing. You're like you're supposed to be the leader of the <laughs> Red Leviathan. You're yeah, supposed you, to be. You were talking about like tanking and like. Yeah, you're, like, you're supposed to be like this? you know gathering the troops and leading them into charge and on the big red bus and you're just kind of came down and just you know like me and me and Ed have been more optimistic. Yeah, than I'm you. like, so what like, is this show? Let, let, like? Let's let's end this on an optimistic note from you, Fred. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I hate that. You're right. I hate to, to, to go like the Marquez uh, side. You know where everything's a downer. No, and, and I honestly I don't believe that. Like I think the Bulls are going to be good. I think they're going to be a solid team. I'm a big believer in IO. So like a rosy scenario is IO takes a jump. Williams becomes rock solid. Um, we stay relatively healthy. DeMar still plays at a high level. And just a simple fact of to me, like if Vooch comes out and shoots 36% from three, it's going to do so much for the team. Uh, and, and then we'll win, we'll win anywhere between 46 and 50 games in that scenario. So that's the positive, even if ball doesn't come back. I mean, obviously, ball comes back in January or February, even better, right? We still have some really good pieces, Caruso. Um, I predicted 44 wins. Uh, I still think that's kind of rosy when you fi- when you factor in how much better the East is now. And I think that's I think that's where we should be excited about. I, you know, I just threw out that scenario to me. This season is a win-win. Like I don't even. I think if even if things go south, if they take that direction, I know a lot of people would be upset and down. But I'm going to be positive and say, I just I'm a big believer in the in the four the top four picks in this upcoming draft. Like so, like I will not be devastated if things go south because I think we do have a remedy for that in trading significantly talented good assets that could really uh supercharged rebuild um now if we end up with the fifth pick you will see me be at a, a whole nother level of despair uh, and that's in, in general is probably where the bulls have been i'm just throwing out that negative scenario even to me is a positive so big picture i'm really excited about this future of this team and i still think the bulls like we can make the miracle this year i oh i think could just step out and become a superstar and um we'll have three elite players in terms of zach uh, Demar in Iowa and uh, and really uh, make some noise in the East. 
How's that? Better? 100%. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. I'm seeing the red. I'm seeing the red sea party. Yeah. There we go. I need to post that. I haven't posted enough of those images. I'm surprised. You, I'm surprised you don't use the Steph No one all the time. Like he made that. I thought that was gonna be the one that you use at all times. But sometimes you still use the other one. So. Uh, well, I got that. That's my picture on Twitter. The one that's Steph. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't looked. I have to go back. I thought. Yeah. I Realize that was your picture. Fair That's enough. Fair background. enough. Fred, let, let all listeners also know where they can follow you and obviously see where they can find the big red bus. Yeah, and all cha- on all the platforms for for um, podcasts, you can find the big red bus. Just uh, search big red bus bulls, and you can find myself in the Podfather. Doug Tone is hashing it out. Doug's far more negative than me. I think he's he's kind of like pulling me uh, to, to his down yeah. that road. So I'm trying to fight that. And, it, and believe me, by the time the season starts, I'm going to be a lot more rosier than, than I've been right now. Um, and uh, you can find me there. And in Chicago Bullseye, occasionally, I'm going to try to get that going again, too. Will that be more solo bo- basketball topics, coaching topics, and stuff like that? So uh, that's where you can find me. And all, obviously, at Twitter, at CBEFred, at CBEFred, uh, or sh- search for CRedFred. Guys, I got to run, man. I'm way late. The wife looks angry. Family looks angry as they're staring at me. We got to hit the road, but uh, I, it was worth it because I love your show. And uh, there were some good topics today. I thought we we made some uh, interesting, uh, p- p- uh, you know, painted some interesting scenarios that will hopefully uh, will we'll go down the better roads. Hundred percent. Thank no, you so much for joining us, Brad. Have a good one. Right. Godspeed, brothers. Take care. All right, later, man. Ed, how about you? Any final thoughts as we get uh, done wrapping up here? No, nah, I mean, uh, yeah, thanks to uh, Fred for dropping by. We had some uh, really good uh, discussions, some good hypotheticals about the Bulls season and uh, some some really good uh, some really good reaction to media days. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to see what this team looks like in the uh, first couple of preseason games. And, yeah, we're approaching the start of the regular season pretty quickly. So we'll get to see uh, how this team is looking without Lonzo Ball and whether they can. Uh, whether of a storm of this new look Eastern Conference that is definitely going to be hell all year. But uh, no, nah, I'm good, man. Just ready to see some basketball. Excellent. So, yeah, me too. I, I, I hear you. I'm excited. I, I'm, you know, two days can't get here fast enough. Uh, it's unfortunate it has to be against uh, the new look Zion, who looks <laughs> like an absolute monster now. Like, he looks, he looks as skinny as he was, like, in high school. Yeah, like he looks like, like super trapped. Looking like Spartanburg Day, uh, Zion, man. Looking like right, Spartan. right. He's gonna have a monster. I, I'm like the Pelicans are a dark horse for me in the in the West. I think they're gonna be they're gonna take that Grizzlies type of jump this season. I think. We'll, yeah, we'll see I, what I like happens. What the Pelicans have done. They 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 definitely have a lot of room to to be a spoiler in the Western Conference this year, especially if Zion is healthy and. You have McCullum, you have Ingram, Herb Jones is Herb fantastic. Jones, yeah. Like they have a lot of good young talent on that team. Uh, yeah, they they could definitely be a spoiler in the West. Yeah, that they're gonna be they're gonna be a must must watch uh, must watch TV for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a wrap for today's show. If you missed any previous episodes, you can find us under the Barroom Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again to Fred for joining us and to the listeners for tuning in. As always, for Edward Schuler and myself. Till next time, Bulls fans. <laughs>